Welcome to Short Course, episode 92, for February 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I uh, took last week off, just life was busy, and I'd put out two long episodes. And then, obviously, this week I am getting over uh, a cold, so sorry for the uh, funny audio quality, but I'll do my best to, to persevere through it. Wanted to do a, a quick recap, um, hopefully getting closer to the target duration of these episodes of 25 minutes uh, than, than the last few have been, but we'll see how this one goes. Uh, but just wanted to give a quick recap of kind of what's what's been going on with USPSA. Uh, so the the bulk of the, the topic will just be talking through what I have seen from the minutes of the in-person board meeting, the, the two-day in-person board meeting that happened at the end of January. But uh, before we get to that, two things, if you don't listen to anything else from this podcast, two things to know. The first is the results have come out from the, the Area 3 runoff. So just for historical context, this is to fill the remainder of the term that Matt Hopkins was originally elected to. He ended up moving out of Area 3 and resigned, and Kevin Collins was appointed as the interim Area 3, which he's been for a while now, mostly just because the the process of running a, an election that goes to a runoff uh, ends up being taking quite a while. There's a mandated 30-day period between the election itself and the, the runoff, which the runoff itself, the, the original election takes 30 days, the runoff takes 30 days. Uh, to me, I, I think one of the one of the no-brainers would be amending the bylaws to just use some kind of ranked choice voting and an instant runoff uh, just to solve this this whole issue, uh, just because it slows everything down. Now, maybe that's the point. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's the point. But to me, ranked choice voting would be the way to, to solve all of these issues. And again, this is relevant for the, the Area 6 election, because as far as I know, there are only two people in the election, myself and Kyle Stevens. But if some third person puts their name in, then that moves the whole timeline from when we know who's going to actually be the incoming area six, it moves it like two months later, which is, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but there's kind of no reason for it either. But that's a bylaws thing. The bylaws require first past the post voting with runoffs of the top two. So that's a, that's a different discussion, but anywho, Scott Arnberg has uh, won the runoff. So he'll be taking over the, the area three board seat. As soon as they vote, they have to meet to vote when his start date will be. It has to be no later than 60 days from the end of the election, but it could be sooner if he is ready, I suppose. So there is a, a board meeting at the end of this week, or I guess next week uh, on the 28th of February. So presumably they'll vote on that then. So uh, area three is changing hands to someone. I, I genuinely, I mean, I, I thought both of the, both the candidates in the runoff would be an improvement, both, over Kevin Collins and just in general, uh, the, the average board member. I think Matt Hopkins probably would have done a good job too, but this is this is where we're at. I think from what I have heard in the interviews that he did leading up to the election, I, I generally liked what Scott was saying, or at least where I disagreed with him, he, he seemed like a reasonable person who could have a, a discussion based on facts and logic, not just emotion and, you know, I want what I want, that kind of thing. So hopefully he'll, he'll do well. And then the second thing to, to know off the top is, the board at the in-person meeting did vote on rule changes. This is mostly just the result of the, the rules audit, so cleaning up certain definitions, things like updating the definition of a short course and a medium course no longer refer to number of positions. It's just purely defined by number of rounds, that kind of thing. 
So those are effective March 1st. So basically a week after you're, you're listening to this or a week after this airs. So uh, nothing hugely earth shattering, but probably worth going to the, the announcements page and uh, finding it and just giving it a read over just so, just so you know what the, what things are changing. I don't know if they'll send out another announcement in the newsletter or something, but the file on the, it's under board of directors meeting minutes, but the file is called comp rules, March, 2023 change log final. So not exactly the most intuitive name, but give it a read just so you're, you're up to speed. Like I said, so reading over the, the board of directors meeting minutes. So this is a, a two day meeting Saturday and Sunday going basically all day uh, from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. the first day and then 8 a.m. until about 5 p.m. the second day. And they had 19 items on the agenda. They got through 11 of them, which I say this as someone who is trying to get on the board that is painful. I mean, as, as someone who's in a lot of meetings for my job that that don't get to their destination, that's 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 pretty bad. Um, I Obviously, someone needs to be steering the meeting a little more strongly but as we'll get to there was there was a, a few long things that weren't even on the agenda that that were discussed so there's that issue as well but the first day opened with Yimin the president making some remarks Donna the managing director making some remarks and then they go into Rick Brotzel the director of IT going into his sort of 2022 presentation wrap up thing and then they go there an hour into the meeting and then they go into executive session for 50 minutes to discuss what is only noted as software strategy. And then there's a vote on directing Rick to, quote, move forward with software development research, whatever that means. I assume the the sort of rumor mill seems to be something around, hey, let's make sure we're not completely at the mercy of practice score, which pretty much runs our whole sport now. I mean, there was a time, right, when part of being an affiliated club was you got a floppy disk or a CD or something with easy win score, which is the the scoring software. That was one of the reasons to affiliate was you got the software to to score all your matches. And now you just get that for free. So definitely the the value proposition of being an affiliated club is less than it once was, at least in that dimension. But Again, 50 minutes on that that one topic. Okay, fair enough. I guess it's it's important. It's it's certainly something that I think is is worth addressing. But uh, from there, yeah, they go through director of IT, director of meeting events, director of steel challenge, director of NROI. So it seems like the first day is just lots of these director reports. Which okay, I mean it's good catch up, kind of do a year in review. All all good, no no problem with that. And then. They get to discussing the rules audit, which they spend about an hour on before voting in the, the all the rules except for the ones that they that they take a vote on removing. And I'll probably sometime in the next few weeks, I'll probably end up doing a, a review of of the changes just so you guys have that uh, for for your reference. But I was I was happy to see that they retained the level one exception for being able to specify you have to activate targets before shooting at them. Again, just because some indoor matches, some level one clubs just, you know, may not have the props to to perfectly block every part of a of a target from every part of the stage. So it it gives level one designers a little bit more latitude. They did go ahead and remove the level one exception that allowed you to prohibit leaving the shooting area and coming back in, which 
I've never actually seen that used in USPSA. It's interesting that that is, that is how IPSC works. And in theory, people could have specified in, in the written stage briefing, they could have built stages where that was an element as well. I've never seen it done. The stage designer part of me is thinking, okay, I'm sure I could design an interesting stage that uses that. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it's a, it's a huge loss. I mean, I think it would be cool to be able to do that as a, as a discretionary part of the stage, but that's not really a, a hill I'm interested in dying on. So it is what it is. They, uh, they did also remove the proposed change to 1.1.5.4, which is currently the rule that, that says you can specify the last six shots of a stage have to be strong or weekend. They were going to revise it to say the whole, a whole stage, a whole short or medium course could be stipulated to be shot one-handed, either strong or weak, which is basically how IPSC handles one-handed shooting. And generally speaking, I think that's a good rule. I think having little 12 round short courses that test one-handed shooting, especially if it's a you know few positions is, is more interesting than a lot of the draw, shoot six, freestyle, reload, shoot six with one hand type shooting that's kind of become the norm in, in USPSA, mostly because that's what the classifiers do. But I, uh, I actually emailed Frank Rizzi, Area 7 director, and just asked, hey, it was what what was what was the idea with that? And it sounds like basically the the there were concerns about the fact that it was allowing well even a short course is is up to twelve rounds, but even a, a medium course is now defined as up to twenty. And if you've got a up a twenty round medium course, well anybody shooting single stack or production is going to have to do a reload. And there was uh, some stage a stage at nationals where people were having to do weekend reloads and either transfer the gun back and do the reload. Uh, you know, transfer to their strong hand to do the reload, and it was causing issues, and and so they basically just took that that rule change out of the the audit and said they'll come back and look at it another time, which I actually think is is fair. That is a fairly significant change to the rules. My understanding is the purpose of the rules audit was meant to be more cleaning up than actually fundamentally changing rules, and and that this is definitely more of a fundamental change than than a cleanup thing. So. Fair enough. I mean, I think it would be cool to see that in the sport at some point, but at the same time, yeah, I, I could see having even a 12-round stage where the whole thing has to be shot weekend would uh, would would definitely flip some people out. And uh, I don't, yeah, that's a big change. So fair enough. And credit to Frank. I you know I emailed him. He I got a pretty straightforward, cogent response within 24 hours, and. Uh, just said thanks. I mean, this is to me. This is how how it should work, interacting with a with a, with a board member, and so I I appreciated that. And so at this point, it's almost the end of the first day, and they spend about two hours reviewing the results of the the survey. I think this is just primarily the production and limited ten proposed changes because they discussed limited optics the morning of day two. So I'm not sure what the discussion was what was discussed for two hours. Uh, I do think it's interesting. So they did post the quote unquote survey results for everyone to see, but all obviously all that they've posted are the, the multiple choice answer votes. So all that time that you spent typing in your, your responses and your nuanced opinions about things, who knows where those have gone. They haven't been published, which I mean, maybe that's for the best, who knows what people wrote in those, but it, it would be interesting to see all of the non profane ones and, and see what other people think about some of these proposals. But all that they quote unquote published was the was the the up down votes. And most of them went pretty much the the way you would expect. I mean, some of the questions, oh, does this 
allow more options in terms of stage designs. Like, yes, obviously allowing more things allows anyway, but probably the most interesting question was the one about production capacity because it went, it went four ways. So the, the result ended up being that raising production to 15 got the most votes at 38%, whatever fits the box, whatever base pads you put on the magazine that fit the box that got 25%, leaving it at 10 rounds, got 23%, and factory with no aftermarket base pads got 14%, which, I mean, I, I generally take that as encouraging. I hope they actually listen to the results of the survey. And I mean, the, if they're going for a straight up vote, 15 was the most popular option. I also think it happens to be conceptually the preferable option based on values and logic, but you know, the fact that those two are coincidental is, is just gravy, but we'll see. They didn't make any change. And as they, as they said in the minutes, as I've said here, all of this is just sort of academic because the, the way the bylaws are written, they have to put together a package of, of changes to be presented and then be available for a 90 day comment period before they're actually voted on. So we probably won't be seeing anything finalized until August or September. So I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why the, why this was particularly important to do now versus later in the year, but it's done. We'll see. We'll see what comes of it. We'll see what they say. I did appreciate in the, in the minutes, they did note that Frank Rizzi area seven director expresses concern that a significant number of his area members live in capacity restricted States. And to me, this is, this is one of those places where I think we need to revisit, as I mentioned before, 3.3.1, which is the rule that says if there is a, a state capacity limit, then that's the limit for all matches in that state and, and how that is interpreted. I know that some area seven states, I think New York and New Jersey don't have any kind of grandfather clause on their, their high capacity magazine laws, but some, I believe Massachusetts does. And so that definitely incentivizes anyone, but because that's interpreted as if, if there is a grandfather clause, you know, as such as in California or Massachusetts, well then, then 3.3.1 is not considered in force and people are incentivized to break the law by getting magazines that they did not own at the time the the law was passed, which I think in Massachusetts it was 1994. So the number of, of people shooting open or limited or carry optics in Massachusetts with pre 1994 magazines. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's not a hundred percent. And the way that 3.3.1 is, is being interpreted in that scenario, I think encourages people to do that. So I think that could, could definitely use revisiting if for no other reason than just keeping USPSA off the radar of anyone trying to make hay over the fact that look at all these high capacity magazines in, in a state that has a high capacity magazine ban. But you know, this is definitely one of those scenarios where having a representative, having a voice on the board for the people in those States is definitely something that I, I think we should defer to. So I, I have my opinions, but obviously, you know, Frank, knows these guys and, and is much more aware of what's going on. So I, I would be very curious to, to hear more about what he's thinking with, with regards to implementing these types of things. Because as I've said, I think if you're shooting a stock gun with 15 round mags or with 10 round mags, and then you go and you need to borrow some, some factory 15 or 17 rounders from someone out of state at a big match, that's, that, that's more practical than trying to borrow, say, 140 millimeter magazines for your limited gun 
that need to feed a certain length of 40 or, or whatever. So I, I still see production as being relatively friendly in that capacity, but I, I can see how having it be having to having to borrow 15 round magazines to be competitive for that group of the sport would would definitely be a, a negative impact for them traveling to matches outside of of mag mag band states so yeah something something to weigh and, and consider for sure and uh, that was pretty much the end of day one day two started with a two-hour executive session that was that just says that it was for quote organizational insurance coverage unquote and this was not on the agenda that was posted anywhere so I'm, I'm not sure what came up what was so urgent i i certainly would be interested what the <laughs> what was such a, a concerning topic oh and i'm actually realizing here i skipped over an item in my notes so around lunchtime day one there was a not technically executive session or at least it wasn't it, it Executive session was not voted on and entered into, but the uh, Kyle Stevens, who was there as a guest, was excused. Although the other people who were there as guests, like Sherwin and Lee, were allowed to stay. So, uh, you know, why is that? You tell me. But apparently, the the presentation went for an hour and forty five minutes about the USPSA financials, and there was basically no details in the minutes about what it contained. There are rumors that have been swirling that something like two hundred to three hundred thousand is the 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 shortfall. So the revenues were two to three hundred thousand shorter than expenses, and that there was also a significant hit, possibly on the order of five hundred thousand, to the the investment income that basically is is meant to be USPSA's rainy day fund. So there's a bunch of cash. It's invested. Theoretically, to keep up with inflation, at the very least, uh, it sounds like it was invested. If this is true, it sounds like this was invested a little too aggressively. So, when the market has taken a turn in the last year, though, those accounts have taken a pretty bad hit as well. But in in any case, there obviously was some materials prepared and presented. Nothing has been shared with the membership. There is an audit that will be going on this spring into summer. Again, we'll see if the the results from that audit are are actually released to the membership. There are three elections this this summer, starting in the middle of June, Area 6 that I'm running in. Area 8, which is Ted Murphy, who has been on the board now for four years. So he's he's running he'll be running for re-election, I assume. And the the state of the finances of the organization should be something that that he has to answer for, in part. And I I mean, I, I kind of expect them to sit on the results of the audit until middle of July when the election is over. Although, again, if Area 8 has more than two people in the election and it goes to a runoff, who knows? But, yeah, I, I think the this is something that is actually really starting to concern me. I, I've been telling people, hey, this mess with the board and the rules and, and everything that we've gotten into with USPSA, it took years to create. It'll take years to fix it's not going to get fixed overnight. We just need to settle in for the long haul. But if the finances of USPSA, I mean, I don't know exactly where we're at, obviously, because these results haven't been released. But if it's something where USPSA is is hemorrhaging money, then at a certain point, you start looking at what is what is the viable lifespan of a company that is losing money every year. If if the if the cash flow can't at least be neutral 
how many years of reserves do we have left? I, I think that's a real question, and the membership deserves an answer. And I don't think we're going to get one, but we deserve one. So anyway, that was a that was a middle of day one was this whole finances discussion and presentation with no no actual details in the minutes. And as far as I know, I haven't seen anything about any intent to release any more information, but maybe it's coming. We'll see. So yeah, morning of day two, after this two-hour executive session for organizational insurance coverage, again, whatever that means, there was a discussion of the limited optics survey results, basically no action at this time, still, I guess, gathering more input and trying to figure out what the actual format of the division should it be? Should it be minor only? Should it be minor major? Should it allow frame-mounted optics? All of these things that there were there were survey questions about that were not overwhelmingly committal. To some degree, this is where you have to come back to values. What what is the purpose of this division? What role does it serve? Not just hey, let's have a popularity contest and and just see what gets the most votes. But that that'll be ongoing. There's no particular time that a that a provisional division, no calendar for it. It just, once it's created, it, it, it exists for 12 months before being reviewed. So that 12 months could be June to June or something like that. So we'll see what comes out of that. And then as they kind of, the day two was running out of time, they, they sort of jumped around on the agenda. One thing that they did was committee assignments. So basically just making sure everybody voting on who, who was on what committees I think it's pretty interesting. I think it's worth pulling the, the board minutes just to see who is on what committees. For example, Steel Challenge is, is the only committee with a significant number of non-board members on it. So basically every other board, every other committee is mostly board members. And to Kyle Stevens, who I'm running against in the, the Area 6 election, to his credit, he's actually been pushing for getting more subject matter experts, more regular members onto some of these committees, not just having the same eight, nine, 10 board members sort of playing musical chairs between all the committees, which if you look at it right now is, is mostly what it is. I did find it interesting. They didn't give any committee assignments for area three. I guess they don't know who he's going to be, so they don't know where to, where to put his specialties. That's sort of the most charitable case I can make. And they gave Frank Rizzi, obviously incoming area seven. He is on the audit committee where hopefully he can do some good work and make sure the audit is done well and maybe even actually available to the membership uh, and then put him on the fee structure committee, which sounds kind of boring, but hopefully he can have some input on the fact that basically it sounds like USPSA is probably looking at just raising fees to, to get their way out of this revenue hole, which if you're doing a good job and you have a slight shortfall, okay, maybe raise your raise your rates a little bit, but yeah, I, I don't think that's going to go over particularly well with, with a membership that's not particularly happy with the activity of the board as it is. So they did that. They discussed when the new Area 3 director will start, decided to wait until the election is done to actually pick a date, presumably because I guess they just want to wait to see who, which candidate wins and then when that candidate can actually reasonably start. And so presumably they'll vote on his start date, like I said, at, at the meeting uh, a week from now. And then they voted to reject a steel challenge proposal, which I, I could only infer from a Brian Enos forum post about it because the actual proposal on steel challenges website is no longer available. But it sounded like there were actually some stages where they were looking at slightly increasing the, the peak stage time, basically because they were a little bit too hard. Uh, they, were, they were not seeing as many GM scores coming through as they expected. So they were going to add a little bit of time to it, which, okay, fair enough. 
but the the measure was rejected and then that was the the last thing voted on although once again i sorry i'm i'm still a little fuzzy from uh getting over this cold so i'm gonna have to go back a little bit so right before the the committee assignment discussion there was a a pretty interesting segment where frank rizzi area 7 director made a series of four motions one for each of ben steger Derek lewis brett wally and joe retkowski to rescind their either termination or suspension and all four failed without a second which i mean i can't say that's a that's a big surprise but I at least appreciate the fact that he went on record as saying this is something that there should at least be a discussion and vote about. So that's definitely a a positive sign of change for the better. I, I can you imagine any of the sort of standard cast of characters that are the the board members we know and love, any of them doing something like that? Obviously not. So keep an eye on Frank. Obviously, I think he's um, he's doing good stuff. I. I appreciate the fact that he stuck his neck out and and is letting everybody know where he stands on these things. And hopefully we can get him some more help on the board here soon. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is ben at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.